Again, I'd like to welcome all of you who are gathered here in the sanctuary on this day and those of you who are with us online. It's good to have you worshiping in community with us here at First Free Methodist Church. My name is Craig Brown. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we're continuing our series of messages called Hunt the Good Stuff. It's about how we develop resiliency in our lives through gratitude. And so gratitude is the theme that's running throughout all four weeks of this series, of which we're in the second week today. And today we're going to focus our attention especially on what it means for us to have a posture of gratitude even in difficult and challenging seasons of our life. Now I want to start this morning by making at least my own confession of a difficult season in life. It's a good place to begin. Uh, about a, two months ago I went to go see the doctor about that, you know, that ringing in my ears? And so they did a CT scan on my head. And they did the scan, and they looked at the image, and they went, that's not supposed to be there. And so then I went and had an MRI, and after the MRI, I saw a neurosurgeon and a neurochronologist. I can learning how to say that word. And it'll be two weeks ago yesterday, I found that I have a cyst growing on my pituitary gland. It's called a Rathke cleft cyst, for those of you who are into that stuff. It's not cancerous, it's not life-threatening, but it is a cyst that's, you know, filled with some fluid, and it's putting some pressure on my pituitary gland. And so what that means for me is typically when people have an acute problem with this, they begin to lose a little bit of their peripheral vision. That's not my case, so don't worry, I can see what's going on right over there, all right? <laughs> but one of the other symptoms is that it creates a tremendous amount of hormonal imbalance in one's life. And so we've had some tests since. We found out that my lymph nodes are hardly even working right now, which explains some of this in my life. So what that means, as I've been working through that process and thinking about what that looks like for the future, the best remedy to that is surgery. And uh, not to get too graphic on a Sunday morning, but they do that surgery through the nose. The nose knows. And so in January, I'll be having that surgery, January 5th, it's a Friday, I'll be having that surgery, and I'll be spending a couple days in the hospital, and then after that I'll be recovering at home. The problem is, is that the uh, doctor started out by telling me, the surgeon said, you'll need to not work for three months. And I went, <laughs> I laughed. I said, that's not happening. And so me and my neurosurgeon, who went to medical school at MIT and did his residency at Johns Hopkins, we had a negotiation. <laughs> and the negotiation ensued, and we determined that he would be willing to take a look at me after six weeks to see if I could return to work. The main recovery problem here isn't so much the surgery itself. It's as the, the pituitary gland starts to work again, uh, it creates a lot of fatigue. And so sometimes people who have this procedure just are really tired afterwards. So they try to give you time to get back up to speed. So I'm not going to be here for about six weeks in January and early February. And so I'm working very close with um, our leadership team and with our staff to figure out what our plans are going to be for those six weeks so that everything is covered and moves ahead. This is not what I had planned to have happen in my second year of ministry here in your midst. So in that, for that reason, it's unfortunate. 
But it is fortunate that this thing was caught without waiting until there were more severe symptoms later. So I'm very thankful for that. So we're going to be sending some communication out to you this week and in the weeks to come about what that's going to look like, how we're going to hold this space for six weeks, who's going to be running the place, and all of that stuff. But I want you to know this church is moving forward every week, whether I'm here or not, that this church is resilient and strong and vital and becoming more so each and every day. So when I wrote this sermon three weeks ago, I hadn't even seen the doctor or the surgeon yet. So who knew that I could preach this sermon for myself? That's usually what sermons are, you know. They're first for the preacher, and then they're for everybody else. So let's start with this rich text, Romans chapter 5. Such an important book in Scripture that can help us in holding the difficult seasons of our life. For me, it's just a little medical diagnosis. For others of you, you're holding heavier things. You're heavy, holding more severe illness or sickness. You're holding deaths of loved ones, those you care deeply about. You're, you're holding even relationships with parents or children, siblings or friends that are broken. You're holding that today. And that's where I want us to begin. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us something wonderful. He says that we have been justified by faith. So let's talk about how we need to let God do God's work. Being justified by faith means that we're made right with God. The word justified is actually an accounting word in Greek, and it literally means to balance the ledger. And in this case, Balancing the ledger means balancing the ledger of our sin and enmity with God. That God acts in Jesus to balance the ledger. In other words, to put us in right relationship with God. That's what it means to be justified, to be made right with God. And not only does Paul tell us that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he goes on then to say that the chief result of that justification in that very same verse, Romans 5 verse 1, is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace with God or that shalom with God is now a way in which our lives are cool, settled, whole, at one with God. God justifies God gives peace. And in the last part of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, and because of that, we have access to God. We have access to God. Romans 5, verse 1 is a great verse because in it is encapsulated almost our whole gospel. That God has justified us and made us right and given us a sense of peace that is beyond all understanding and that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing that God has done. It's a remarkable thing that God has done. And this day we're going to talk about how that truth of what God has done in Jesus Christ is the thing that can sustain us even in these difficult moments so that we can form gratitude even when it's difficult. We can be thankful even when it might be challenging or hard for us. This is all good theology, 
But to be honest, why does the theology matter? I mean, after all, isn't one of the adages we live by in American culture is that when the goings get tough, the tough get going. Friends, that is anti-gospel. That is anti-gospel. The gospel is, is that when things get tough, God gets going. God gets moving. God gets working. And that's where we want our vision to focus today, on what Paul says in the verses after verse 1, about how we hold life with gratitude even when it's difficult. So let's talk about how Paul outlines this. Let's get into gratitude a little bit. And the first thing that Paul says in verse 2 that becomes important is that we're to celebrate God's work by focusing on what really matters. You know, when I sat with the uh, neurosurgeon in the exam room and he explained exactly what was wrong with me, there was something that began to happen to me. And it happens to a lot of us when we hear bad news, whether it's about health, about a relationship, or anything else. We begin to have tunnel vision. We begin to see life in very small terms. We begin to see life in relationship to ourselves and how we're engaging and reacting. And yes, rightly so. That needs to be there. That needs to be present. But at the same time, if we stay in that place perpetually and never get out of it, then we begin to lose the big picture of what is happening in our midst. Even in those difficult moments of our life, are we justified by faith? Do we have peace? This is a dialogue, friends. (laughs) And do we have access to God through Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes. Those things are true, even in those moments where our vision gets small. And that's okay. That's why verse 1 is there. So when verse 2 happens, we remember, go back to verse 1. We celebrate God's work. We focus on what really matters. It says in verse 2 that we're to celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. That our life in God is important, but perhaps God in our life is what matters most. I used to live in South Orange County, California. And one of the largest churches in the country is located just a few miles from where I used to live. It's Saddleback Church. The church started by Pastor Rick Warren back in the late 1980s. Rick retired a few years ago, still lives in the community. But the church has been a movement in South Orange County and throughout the country for that matter. And if you drive around a car anywhere in South Orange County, you'll likely come across a Saddleback Church bumper sticker. And what it says on the bumper sticker is this. You matter to God, Saddleback Church. True statement? Absolutely it's true. We do matter to God. As individuals, we matter for God. I also wish I could see the other companion bumper sticker that goes with it that I never see. And that bumper sticker is that God matters to you. Both of these statements are true. And what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, is simply this, is celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Not celebrate in the hope that God likes you. Celebrate in the hope of the glory of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of who God is. Because it is this God that has justified us by faith. 
It is this God that has given us peace through Jesus Christ. It is this God that has given us access through Jesus to the infinite love that God has for all of us. If we keep reading Romans chapter 5, you'll find the apostle goes on and he tells us that we're to celebrate life, that we're to find God's love in triumph and tribulation. To be honest, burdens and blessings come to all of us. True? True. It's part of the human condition. And it may be surprising to learn that God's goal in our life is not ease. God's goal in our life is not ease. It is to be with us in every moment of ease and unease, in pain and in pleasure, in burdens and in blessings. You see, one of the hallmarks that I believe is true of good Wesley Wesleyan, Arminian theology is that God does not send the problem that we face in life. That God does not send the problem. But that God always sends provision in the problem. I'm going to say that again. God does not send the problem, but God sends provision in the problem. That God meets us in the midst of whatever it is we're carrying at that particular moment of our life. It's the reason why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 this, celebrate in our tribulations. Have you ever tried that out? When something not good happens, when there's some pain or suffering in your life, has your response been to celebrate it? Yay! No. It does not come naturally to us at all, and that's why the Apostle's exhortation is there. Celebrate in your tribulations. Because he's going to tell us that God is doing something even in the midst of tribulations. God doesn't send the problem, but he sends provision in the problem for us. This week, I hope you've been using your gratitude journal to keep track of the small moments of gratitude in your life. Now, I've been keeping mine electronically. I have a a program on my computer I do all my journaling in, so don't throw stones at me because my journal's blank, all right? But this week in your journal, what I would encourage you to do is to be thinking this week about the struggles, the crises, or the tribulations you're facing in your life. Maybe pause every day to write that down, and then to write how you're going to celebrate in the midst of that. Try to apply exactly what the Word of God is telling us to apply. Celebrate in your tribulations. Record them and find that way in which you're celebrating in the midst of it. Now, to be honest, you need to read the rest of the passage this morning to know how to do that. It's a good thing I'm not done yet. Here we go. The next thing the Apostle calls us to do is to celebrate perseverance to look back at God's sustaining power. You see, we all like perseverance, don't we? We just don't like how we get it. We like perseverance, but we don't like how we get it. And Paul is aware of this as he writes. That word perseverance in Greek that's written in Romans chapter 5 means to hold on. Perseverance means to hold on. 
it doesn't say advance. <laughs> it doesn't say brag. It doesn't say showboat. It says what? Hold on. Because sometimes, sometimes that's the best we can do is hold on. Hold on to what? We are justified by faith. You know the rest of the verse now, don't you? We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and we are given access. That's what we hold on to. You literally hold on to Jesus. Or like the, the woman in the story in Luke's gospel who was suffering from a hemorrhage, she just hung on to the thread of his garment. And that was enough. Sometimes the best we can do is hold on. So do that. Don't worry about anything else. Just hold on. The Apostle Paul tells us that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's the holding on. Moments of crisis and conditioning, they prepare us for the future. So Paul goes on in verse 4. says the next thing, that we're to celebrate character. See how God has changed you. The word in verse 4 for proven character means to have endured a trial or to have emerged from crisis. It's, in other words, it's what you are on the other side of those difficult moments in life. What your life looks like, who you really are. It's the, the kind of person you are improving character when all of the pretense and presentation of our life is stripped away. That person, the real you that emerges on the other side, that is proven character. You know, as Paul writes this in Romans 5, he's, of course, nodding to this community in Rome to whom he's writing. And this community in Rome is made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Both followers of Jesus, but come, though, some that come out of the Jewish tradition and some that come out of Roman paganism. And they're all in one church together. So is it surprising to hear that they don't get along very well? They don't. And this is why Paul's writing to them. He's trying to help them understand that neither one of them is better than the other. That they have a way of being together. And that they need to learn how to be together. And they know what it's like to be persecuted together. Many of those Jewish Christians who had lived in Rome were thrown out of the city by Emperor Nero and sent into exile. These Roman Jewish Christians scattered abroad became the Apostle Paul's best friends and his chief benefactors. And after Nero died, many of those Ro Jewish Christians came back to Rome finding their church ruled by Gentiles now. That was a little disconcerting when they had ham and cheese sandwiches for the potluck. You see the problem, the tension that comes in the midst of this community. They're trying to find their way. And Paul is saying, you have to change, both of you. You have to get grounded in the fundamentals of who we are. That we are justified by faith. That we have a peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And that we have access to God through him. You have to get grounded in that truth. 
The sad thing is, is for us in the 21st century, many times people come to a church, attend a church, because they think it's at times a refuge from change. The church of the 21st century is filled with folks that are afraid of change. To resist that transforming power of God in our life, is to resist sanctifying grace. It is to tell God, no thank you, not today. If we're individuals that don't like change, a church (laughs) should be the last place we go. Because it's the place where God is doing the most changing, the most transforming work changing us through our tribulations that we might experience a sense of perseverance in the midst of that that proven character begins to emerge this is a place of change friends it is not a place of stasis then the apostle says that we're to celebrate hope that we stand in awe of god's future he says that tribulation brings about perseverance perseverance brings about proven character and proven character brings about hope the greek word for hope that's written in Romans chapter 5 is this word, el peace. Can you say it with me? El peace. The word el peace does not mean hope as in wish or a hope or a dream or where are the unicorns and rainbows. The word hope in the New Testament, el peace, means expectation. It means that you expect the outcome. That this faithfulness of God in tribulation that brings about perseverance, that brings about per- proven character, then brings us to expectation. And the expectation is that God is working in the midst of all of that because God has justified us by by faith and that we have been given peace through our Lord Jesus Christ and that we have access to God's infinite love and grace now into his very presence Hope does not disappoint, the Apostle Paul tells us. And then finally, in verse 5, we celebrate God's love. And we give thanks for God's mighty love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, is the first time in the entire letter to the Romans where Paul mentions the love of God. He hasn't talked about the love of God until this moment in time. Because he wants us to understand that if if hope or this expectation does not disappoint, why does it not disappoint? And he says, because the love of God has been poured out in our midst through the Holy Spirit. That's God's love, the gift of the Spirit to all of us. It is that Spirit in us that allows us to experience tribulation in a way that we celebrate it. Because we know that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance brings proven character. Proven character brings hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out abroad in all of us. In the most difficult seasons of life, nothing can separate us from that love. If you flip forward in Romans to Romans chapter 8, there's a beautiful section of Scripture where the apostle says, how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers. He goes on and on to talk about the triumphant power of the love of God at work in our lives and work in the world. 
It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, and it's built upon this text. We have been justified by faith. Whose faith? Now, if you read the translation that we read this morning that Nolan did a fantastic job reading, the way the text is framed, it says we're justified by faith. It almost renders it like it's we're justified by God's faithfulness. True. But there yet is another way that we need to see that text. And it's this. That faith is how that justifying power of God becomes real to us. That it's not our works. It's not our merit. It's not our good conscience. Nor is it our good looks. It is by faith that we are justified. God's faithfulness to us, yes, but our faith in God. You see, all of this that we've talked about this morning is very simply this, that God has done all of this, every single bit of it, out of love for us, the power to celebrate in tribulation, all of it. This is the gracious goodness of God. And we receive it by faith. By faith is to simply say to God, yes, God, I receive your justification. I receive your reconciling love in my life. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is how it happens. It's a choice we make. And God offers the choice freely to us to experience justification, to experience a peace like we've never known, to experience access to God so that we come to an awareness that God is with us all the time. And what's at stake is our awareness of whether God is with us all the time. Friends, perhaps today that's a choice you need to make. Perhaps today is the first time in your life that you're ready to make that choice. To say, yes, God, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to be justified by faith. I want to experience a peace I've never known. I want to be able to have access to God so that I can celebrate my tribulations. Because my tribulations are going to bring about perseverance. And perseverance will bring about proving character. And proving character will bring hope. And hope does not disappoint. So as you come for communion this morning, Pastor Camille will be right over here. And I will be right over there. And if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, and if you want to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life with that justifying grace for the first time, we want to pray with you about that. And if you want to come also to recommit yourself to that, if you want to recommit your life to that, that grace that God has poured out upon you, we want to pray with you too. So as you come for communion, the, the railing here is open for you to kneel in prayer, but especially if you're asking Jesus to come into your life for that first time, Pastor Camille and I so very much want to be able to pray with you and lead you and serve you in that moment. Let's pray together right now. Lord, we give you thanks for this great gift that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge, God, that we are justified not by our own power or our own merit, 
but by your Holy Spirit. Through the work and grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as we gather around this table for communion today, we gather recognizing how much, God, there is for us to give thanks. Our hearts are filled with gratitude that you are with us even in the most difficult moments of our life. That we can experience that power, God, because we have been justified by faith. So we remember as we gather around this table what that justification by faith took. It took Jesus sitting at a table with his disciples saying to his disciples, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance and remember, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, the Lord Jesus took the cup and after he had given thanks to you, he gave it to the disciples saying, take drink from this all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Help them to be for us the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And so in unison with all God's people, we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.